Welcome to Wisdom Talk Radio, a collaborative community of explorers in conscious living. Have you dreamed of walking the famous Camino de Santiago, of being a spiritual pilgrim? Or do you wonder why anyone would ever want to do that? I love to travel and to dive deep into wherever I'm exploring. But my guest today, Bibi Barami, is my heroine adventurer. Join me for today's episode and find out why. Hi, I'm Laurie Seymour, host of Wisdom Talk Radio, founder of The Baca Journey, an illuminator, mentor, and guide for those who are on the cusp of their next step, personally, professionally, spiritually, those who want to know how to connect with the answers that await you when you go inside, because these are the answers that manifest your gift to the world. I want you to join me in welcoming Colorado native Bibi Barami, who is an award-winning freelance writer and anthropologist, wildly published in travel, archaeology, outdoors and adventure, spiritual, food and wine, and cross-cultural topics. Her background in anthropology trained her in the cultures, peoples, and history of the Atlantic and Mediterranean worlds. She is the author of two recently released travel memoirs set in France, Café Auc, A Nomad's Tales of Finding Home in the Dordogne of Southwestern France, and it's a fabulous book, and Café Neanderthal, excavating the past in one of Europe's most ancient places. She also has written several travel guides, including the incredible just-released guidebook, Moon Camino de Santiago. Join me in welcoming Bibi Barami. Welcome, Bibi. Hello, Lori. It's so great to be here with you. I'm so excited to have you here. I've been looking forward to this. And, and um, I really do mean it about that, the amazing guidebook. I'm just blown away <laughs> by the beauty, the, the, the breadth, the depth. Uh, it, it, it captured my imagination. And, uh, you know, it's there on my coffee table, actually. I can't stop looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> so, so I'm drawn. I'm drawn. I'm drawn to the idea of a pilgrimage and... Mm. And, and, the, and the actuality of perhaps doing that. So I want to start with, you know, why go on a pilgrimage and why walk it and, and why, did, why you? <laughs> well, I, I love that question because, you know, it immediately is bringing our awareness to the fact that this is a great long trek and it's, it's a great through trek through wild nature and the great outdoors but it also has this this purpose of of pilgrimage and i was drawn to both you know you know as a colorado native you know i grew up hiking and that idea of trekking was was already there but pilgrimage adds to the trek the con this idea of the quest and it kind of turns you into a seeker and there's something really powerful and magical about that and it was when I was a, a graduate student in anthropology that I was first really exposed to the idea of the power of pilgrimage as a transformative journey. Because, uh, you know, in anthropology, the literature is about uh, 
going out on this unknown path and leaving your familiar world behind. So you immediately are um, unweaving everything that you knew about yourself and about life in the familiar and taking a chance and stepping into the unknown. And in that unweaving, you meet people you would have never met any other way. And they become catalysts for your transformation as much as your own inner meditation that happens while you walk at the cadence of your own feet. And when you arrive at the sacred destination, in the case of the Camino de Santiago, it's Santiago de Compostela in northwestern Spain, where the bones of the purported bones of St. James the Greater are buried, one of the 12 apostles of Christ, you start finding a new fabric weaving and you return home transformed with this new fabric and then have to find a way to fit that fabric into the old life you left. So it's, it's very powerful. It's not just a trek. It's interesting to listen to the way that you describe it. I mean, it's fascinating to me because your, your words and the actuality of them mirror the way that I see it in the very same way with the very same kind of words with similar words of that stepping into the unknown of the quest of the inner journey. And, it, you know, it's like that inner journey meets the outer manifestation of doing exactly that. Yeah, that's that's trail magic right there. <laughs> you know, I mean, everyone knows what I'm talking about, who's gone into the unknown. And suddenly it's like when you relinquish control, but you have acted through your best free will to say, okay, this feels right. I need to go on that, that direction, even if it might scare me because I don't know anything about it or I don't know what's there. You find uh, uncanny things people and incidents showing up that support that choice and you know many times without even having to ask and walking the Camino de Santiago I think this is one reason why, among several why I keep going back is that that trail magic without fail keeps showing up and I'm absolutely amazed at how it does it <laughs> you know it's just like what is is there a thought bubble over my head that's saying <laughs> this is what I need because it just showed up and I didn't even say anything yeah. yeah, it's because you, you, you step into what the universe is presenting before you, you know, or to, or to you, and yes. you step into it fully, not knowing what the outcome is going to be, of course. Um, yes, I'm traveling from point A to point B, but that's about it. Yes. I, I, I you know, I hadn't really, I guess, if oddly enough, thought about it in quite that way, because the the whole the myth of the hero's journey has been for me such a container for much of my life and i hadn't realized how much this is just an extension of that it really is it really is i mean it's a classic rite of passage the it is. rite of passage mm -hmm. follows exactly this pattern and the hero's journey definitely it's the archetype mm -hmm. and um and you see it every time, you know, like the, the, my guidebook covers the most famous and historic route of the Camino de Santiago. Because the Camino de Santiago is really many roads all across Europe, all destined for this northwestern corner of, of Spain. And this one is the Camino, on the Camino Frances, and with an extension all the way to the coast, to the Atlantic shore. And it's... Um, the most popularly walked route. So you see a lot of people arriving every year, every day, every month at 
you know, the, the sort of the beginning of this journey, many started riding the, the Pyrenees on the French side in the mm -hmm. town of Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port. And that is where you get to watch the archetype of the, the young hero who's, they've signed, they finally said yes to the call. Mm -hmm. But now they're kind of going, oh my God, what did I say yes to? I'm, they, they, they face the full unknown. Right as they're now, there's no turning back. And um, they have to cross the, the mountains the next day, traverse the entire Pyrenees in one day or, or two if they want to. But it's still, it's, it's suddenly like this very physical reality that is manifesting that archetype of, of the, the hero's journey. And it's that moment of doubt where they go, oh, I don't know, I think I want to go home. It's much more comfortable there. It's much um, more comfortable. It's known, it's familiar. And yeah. Um, and then they take those first steps. And mm -hmm. once they see how magnificent it is to step into the unknown and all the camaraderie and all the support that shows up in the magical moments that might be meaningful for many or just meaningful for that one, one person, uh, then they just want to keep going and keep going, even though it's, it's an endurance thing, too. It's, you really have to, to persevere, and it does test you. Can you talk a little bit about the, the testing aspect of it? Because that's, that's true in the inner journey, you know, the, that, that inner version of a hero's journey. And yes. how we're always tested and we're always um, both guided and tested at one and the same time. Are you <laughs> really willing to listen to your own inner guidance or not? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the tests can come in the form of, uh, you know, you've, you've just signed up for this and it's really exciting, you know, especially once you get past that initial, oh my God, what have I done? And, um, and then you find out that, well, those parts of you that you thought you were leaving back home um, are actually with you now. And now they have a chance to talk to you. And they show up more in ways such as you know, just from the fact of simplifying life and leaving routine and carrying everything you need on your back and walking every day. So your life now is walking, getting where you think you're going to sleep that night or letting it present itself and then sleeping and eating and getting up and walking again. That, that cadence sets a person into a long walking meditation, but it also, it starts ringing out parts of you because there's time now. You know, every time you walk, stuff starts bubbling from the deeper depths to the surface and presenting themselves for your conscious mind to say, oh, okay, I need to think about that. Oh, why am I thinking about, you know, uh, a, a dear relative's death right now? Or why am I thinking about that thing that person said at work right now? Or, oh, why am I feeling such a heavy weight of regret over something I did or didn't do? Or, wow, how lucky am I to be who I am or have the opportunities I do or the parents I do or the brother I do or you know all these mm -hmm. things it's a mix but every day they, they come up and and part of it is also because we're so tired we're just walking and we're getting really tired so all our defenses drop mm -hmm. and in that you know that's the inner journey for me what I find really amazing when I know the deep process is really starting for it doesn't matter how many times I've made the pilgrimage each time it's different but it has these sort of universal signals. And for me, it's my dreams start getting really, really intense and like feature film 
style, <laughs> full color, full stories. I remember every detail when I wake up. And they're really processing my life and bringing up what I need to be looking at, whether I was aware of it or not. And when that starts happening, I start going, okay, this is, it's beginning now. And it's also um, around that time where the outer world starts meeting you even more. I mean, it's already been doing it, but it starts doing things like you, you just, uh, you feel really, really tired and weighed down by all this stuff, like just the, the effort, the physical effort to, to, to get up again and, and, and walk every day and then deal with, oh, you know, those thoughts. I don't want those thoughts anymore. <laughs> and then suddenly you find a person, a pilgrim, another pilgrim starts walking in step with you. And maybe you hadn't even seen anyone else on the trail. You were out there by yourself, you thought. And they sort of pop, and there they are. And they start speaking to exactly that thing that might be in your mind hanging you up. And most of the time, they do it in a really gentle way without even knowing that they're doing it. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. It's almost like this attraction, law of attraction, that they're dealing with something similar. And um, yet they might have a piece to pull you both through. They might have an answer to that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes somebody just shows up to celebrate something that uh, you're celebrating in, in, in just your mind, in, your, in your, your own process. Or you might, you know, find yourself pulled to stay in a particular albergue, which is the pilgrim dorms that are along the road that, that pilgrims can stay in. And they're like dormitories. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have often, many of them have communal dinners or pilgrims can choose to cook dinner together if they, the host doesn't serve a communal dinner. And it just turns out that the person who sat next to you or across from you has a piece, uh, a gift to offer you uh, in your own process. So something that you were actually working on that day or thinking about that day or meditating on that day. I love that because it, it, it's the universe in action. It's, it's that energy in action where, you know, you're... You're con you continue to step forward. You continue to put one foot in front of the other, even though you're tired and uh, you might want to go home or your feet hurt or whatever. Yeah. In that continuing process, it's, it's I, I, I think of it in really in energetic terms. It's like you're, you're sending out these, um, these light beams or this light energy, and there's a receptor out there. And the receptor yes. kind of steps into that and, and meets you where you are. Yeah. And you know that receptor's always out there. Mm -hmm. But we, we, we clutter it with our routine lives and kind of pad the, we put a filter almost. If, if we're not looking for the receptor or doing, you know, keeping things clear, it's really easy to let schedules and demands uh, clutter it up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when you're out on the trail, it's suddenly it, this chance to just, uh, really tap back into yourself and get really, really real about who you are. And it's like the universe is just waiting for you to say, yeah. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here's the receptor. It's been here all along, but now you see it. So, yes. um, And it's a really amazing feeling. We've all had it. You know, when you know you're so in the center of your being and you know you're very, very real and you're exactly who you are without, you know, any, anyone else's filters um, kind of 
broadcasting to you or mm-hmm. suggesting to you what that is, that, that that is what you take back home, is that feeling and that knowing. And you kind of, you, you know, it's a cliche to say you find yourself because you're never lost, but you tune more into yourself. And when you feel consciously what that is, many people go back home and they do make some, some significant changes in their lives based on that feeling of who they really felt they were. Mm-hmm, with that knowingness. Yes. It's also the stage in the hero's journey where you, it's like you find the Holy Grail, which to me is the, that sense of yourself. Yes. And, and with that, you discover something that perhaps addresses some ill of the world or some need in the world. And you get to then carry that gift back to the world. Yes. Yes. And you, you, you carry that gift back to the world also in process as you're on the Camino. There is a beautiful and very strong sense of uh, camaraderie and helping each other out. With the locals, the locals, I'm really um, astounded and in love with the locals. Let me just start there because (laughs) these are people who live on this, you know, 600 mile long trail. If you go from the French Pyrenees all the way to the Atlantic coast, they, they live on it. Maybe they were born in that town or village, or maybe they chose to move there because of the legacy of the Camino and wanting to be a part of it. But they, it's a sacred contract that they, they take up by being people living on the road and supporting pilgrims as they go through. And I, what I learned from uh, many people, but the person who articulated it so clearly is an, an, another person who is uh, on the a Camino leader. I'd say Nancy Reynolds. She's out in, in California and she's an amazing leader in the Camino community. And I met her in San Jean Pied de Port a few years ago. And she said, when locals tell you when Camino, which is just, you know, wishing you a good path, mm-hmm. a good way. Mm-hmm. they're not just telling you, hey, have a good day, have a good path. You know, they're actually telling you they have put their journey, they've joined their journey with yours, and you are carrying their prayers and blessings with you all the way to Santiago de Compostela. Oh. And they, when you hug the, you know, the tradition is you hug the, the, the big gold sculpture statue of the St. James that's on the altar in the cathedral mm-hmm. in Santiago de Compostela, and when you do that, you have fulfilled your end of the contract. So this point Camino is not just words or a, a pleasantry. Though with some pilgrims, they use it that way. And, and, and many of them, as they keep walking, start realizing, no, there's something deeper going on with these two words. And they're, they are spirited. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you're, and you're in a sacred contract with each other. Yes. So, so that is amazing, you know, and, and they're, the locals are constantly giving and they're constantly serving. And they are, the vast majority of them, some, you know, they might have a bad day and, you know, they're human. And there are a lot of pilgrims inundating the trail right now. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's really. It's a big job. Keep, it's a big <laughs> job. And, and yet they do it because they do feel this sacred contract and they do treat the pilgrim as a sacred being. And that is amazing to experience. And pilgrims themselves start, they, they, they get this sense of let's help each other out. And let's also 
do something for the trail and let's also do something for the places that we're in. And uh, it's just the, the amount of people who are there to, to help you and to pitch in is something I would love to be, be able to bring back in mass, you know, to my community. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's there. That giving back is already there. And I think many people do then return home and realize that the priorities really are these relationships that we forge not only with each other and with ourselves, but also with the earth. Yes, and I know I want to touch into that a little bit later that, that relationship with the earth and with the land that you're, you're exploring, you're traveling on. Um, but right now I'm, I'm interested in your sense of what makes a person a pilgrim rather than a traveler or a tourist. It's, I'm sure everyone's familiar with that, that question. Are you a tourist or are you a traveler? Mm-hmm. You know? And I mean, I remember when I was in college and you know, backpacking around Europe, I thought about that, you know, it's like, well, Traveler is somebody who really immerses themselves. And, right. Know, doesn't make And that's how I've used that. So, okay, but you're, you've got yeah. a different dimension to it. And, and I think there's yet another dimension, and that is when you, uh, you know, there, there are many people who, let me just give you the, 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 the actual process. You know, there are many people, especially in recent years, have heard of the Camino de Santiago. Maybe they saw the movie The Way with Martin Sheen. Mm-hmm. And they, 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 they just triggered this idea of, wow, what a great way to see Spain or to see Europe. And they sign up for it because it looks like a great vacation, you know, to just walk and see these historic villages and towns and take in European art history and the Romanesque churches or, and, and the stained glass windows and eat great food and walk through wine territory. And um, they start walking. And then they start finding that, all right, it wasn't exactly quite, this isn't a vacation. For one thing, you're working hard. And even if you every now and then, some, somebody might say, oh, I'm going to take a taxi to the next town, or I'm going to take a bus. They're still working hard. And they're starting, it's like the, the Camino still finds a way to chip away at that protection that they may have put around themselves thinking that this was just uh, a trip. Mm-hmm. And that they were just tourists or even just travelers, mm-hmm. just visitors. And the more they walk, the more they pass sacred sites that have, were built on this trail, on this path for a reason. And some of them were built over earlier pre-Christian sites that were holy. So it's not just the Christian lore mm-hmm. that, that, that imbues the trail. And it just starts sort of soaking in, you know, and, um, Trail magic starts occurring and all these uncanny things. And, and many people who began as tourists or travelers at the beginning of the, the Camino arrive in Santiago de Compostela or even a week later, wherever it is they decide to stop walking, a pilgrim because of these transformational cues in the landscape and the hard work that they're putting into it, plus all the people around them, like the locals will start calling them peregrino or peregrina, pilgrim. That's their name. Hola, peregrina. You know, and it just starts soaking in and you start going, this is a kind of interesting place to be. And I'm starting to get in touch with things in my life that mean something to me. I've never had this much time to think about them. And then I just met somebody who's into the same thing, only... She's from Denmark, but now we're thinking of staying in touch, you know, and supporting mm-hmm. that journey. And it's mm-hmm. just very, 
that's, I think, how the transformation happens and how you, you become a pilgrim. You become a quester, a seeker. And the, the, the historical significance of, of being a pilgrim is one of the things that, that is coming to my, my consciousness. I'm, I'm getting visual pictures of huh, all, the, all the pictures we've seen from the Middle Ages, I want to say, I don't know where exactly, but of, of the pilgrims, of people being a pilgrim, you know, walking that pathway, whether they're suffering or they're, but they're, they're feeling moved to travel, to go from on this journey. Yeah. I mean, who, I'm, who hasn't read or heard about Chaucer's Canterbury Tales and mm -hmm. has a visual of just that merry band of pilgrims and their mischief <laughs> <laughs> and, and colorful antics. And um, I'm here to tell you, it's a lot like that. <laughs> that the community of pilgrims can sometimes feel uh, Chaucerian. And um, it, it is, it's, it's something in the Middle Ages Pilgrimage was pretty much the only really, truly legitimate reason a person could get out of Dodge. You know, they, they might come from a village or a town where it's just like nobody travels, it's un, unheard of or it's not recommended, and you might have this strong sense of adventure p compelling you to go out into the world, but everyone's saying, what are you doing? That's, that's unheard of or it's, you know, it's not supported or, you know, it's treacherous. But if you go on pilgrimage, suddenly it was the one thing, the one great adventure that was, be, was became socially condoned. <laughs> and, and for some people, it also became mandatory. I mean, it became, at some periods in the Middle Ages, it became a means of delivering a, a judgment if somebody had committed a crime, whether it was a misdemeanor or a, a felony. And th so they would say, okay, you can go to prison. Or <laughs> you can wear these chains and walk uh, to Santiago de Compostela. Right, Santiago right. de Compostela. Uh, but for many other people, it was just sort of like, uh, I want to go and, and redeem myself, you know, up my chances for getting into heaven. And that's mm -hmm. what was socially condoned. It's like, yes, yes, we can back that. And wealthy people might say, well, I don't want to go, but I'll hire a poorer person to walk for me. So that poorer person is walking for that other person's redemption. Mm-hmm. And probably being well redeemed on the way as well. You know? Exactly. It's not just a uh, an, an act of either charity or an act of uh, I want to earn some money because they're going yes. to get something out of it. But it is, you know, it's interesting to see how pilgrimage. You know, it it, it at least for the Christian world, it, it waned in some ways. It was really connected to the cult of relics in the Middle Ages that mm -hmm. that there could be this magical curative energy or energy of intervention in the bones of a saint. And if you went to that, the burial place of those bones and visited or touched the, the reliquary, um, you could receive a cure. And there was this very strong cult of relics that was attached to this sort of magical process. And um, it started to wane as the cult of relics started to wane. Pilgrimage in the Christian world started to wane. And what I find really interesting is there are three major pilgrimages in the Christian world, the one to Jerusalem, the one to Rome, and the one to Santiago. And um, of all three of them, the one that people are still walking to or still evoking the medieval way of getting there is the Camino de Santiago. And I think that is saying something about us right now in the modern times. 
What is that? Because I know you're very drawn to yeah. that region of southwestern France, of northern Spain, but what, what, is, what is that to you? I think many people are feeling that they've lost a connection to the earth and to their spirit or whatever you want to call it, but that, mm-hmm. that sense of connection of being a part of all this, that interconnectedness, and and also feel really bogged down by all the clutter of all the demands. And we now have so much more information, but not all of it, you know, is, you know, making sense or it's just, um, it's on the surface and there's this hunger to get down deeper. And the, the idea of just going for a very long walk is really appealing. And then for it to be, in a place that has been supporting not just going for a very long walk, but going for a long walk of transformation. Yeah, with purpose. Mm. With purpose, yeah. Mm. And knowing that it's going to give them the time to uh, get back in touch with themselves and get back in touch with the the earth and Mm -hmm. meet people from all over the world. I mean, there's people walking from over 140 countries around the world on the Camino. Right? I, I... And of all ages, yes. That's also magical. I mean, you'll you'll see parents walking with their one-year-old infant, you know, on their back, mm-hmm. or um, grandparents taking a teenage grandchild with them, or you know, people who've just retired. Or I I, I love this woman I met. She was in her mid-eighties, and she was a nun from a convent in Montpellier on the Mediterranean side of uh, southern France and she had actually opened the front door of her convent of her monastery one fine day at age 83 and with a little canvas rucksack and a bag of food dangling off her arm and a walking stick and the shoes she'd worn all the while whether she was gardening or (laughs) going to to mass she started walking and I met her in uh, Galicia, as I entered Galicia, and I was astounded at how far she had come and how absolutely strong and sturdy she was. And also that she kept, I kept passing her on the trail, and I don't know how she did it, but I kept finding her already at the place where I was going to stop for the night when I got there. <laughs> you know, it was just like, how did you do that, Marie? And she would just smile and she'd say, well, I have my ways. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is, is a bit, she, that was wonderful. And um, it is something for all ages and all walks of life. And that is a part of its power is you will meet people of all ages and all walks of life who may never walk into your hometown. But you get to meet them there. Exactly. exactly. So something I want to query you about, um, because it's something that, it's, that is important to me, which is about the energy of, a, of the land and our, and our awareness and interaction with the energy of different places. And I've had many opportunities to to experience that, to explore that, to go to a piece of land and, um, and be quiet on it and receive what is there to be received or to feel it and, and realize, oh, there is perhaps something that's taken place here that I need to do something about or that I just, this is not a place for me and I need to continue and move on. 
So how do you experience yourself, the energy of the land in a place you're exploring? Not necessarily the Camino, but anywhere that you go to and spend time, because you've done that so much. Yes, uh, I love that question because, you know, we, we do have sensitivities to the energies all around us. And more and more sciences are starting to really document and confirm that. And uh, I, I really, I, I think my attraction to archaeology and prehistory and some of the work that I've done in, in the, the deep past comes from this, this feeling that, you know, our ancestors and earlier humans who walked the earth had these sensitivities even better developed just because their survival depended on it. Mm-hmm. And they navigated the world very much with this, this sensitivity of reading what was going on with the five senses and with their extra senses, you know, I don't want to call it the sixth sense, but you know, you know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about, that just mm-hmm. that feeling. And I think that, you know, to bring it to the Camino de Santiago and the feeling there is that the, the draw the, that's drawn me there connected to this question is that people have been traversing that corridor through southwestern France and all across northern Spain for a very long time. And there's got to be a very good reason, in addition to the fact that it has supplied us human beings as homo sapiens and and our other relatives, you know, I mean, the homo antecessor and and Neanderthals also traversed this corridor. And this corridor actually in the center around Burgos at the place of Atapuerca holds the oldest signs of human presence in all of Europe. And they date to 1.2 million years ago. Mm. So I'm thinking, you know, people have been feeling something here for a long time. And yes, it is connected to amazing resources, natural resources, food, water, shelter, but I also am stunned by how ancient peoples also started identifying features in the landscape that they saw as holy or as sacred. Mm-hmm. And we start seeing these very prominently by the Neolithic and then into the, the Bronze Age and the Iron Age, where now, you know, that hill is not just a hill. You know, it is a holy hill where, you know, Venus reigned and then... Once, you know, Christianity arrived, it's now Mary. <laughs> and, you know, but but there, are ener- there are definitely energies in these places, you know. It's, and you could say it's a combination of the natural energy of the earth coupled with the human imagination that felt that energy and in semi-nomadic or nomadic times kept coming and going in that landscape and passing that feature in the landscape and saying, I still feel it, I still feel it, it's, I have these experiences there. Let's dedicate it to, you know, whoever. Mari. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, it would be just to evoke a really fun uh, Basque uh, creator goddess, that, which I love because she mm-hmm. created everything. You know, she created everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but you definitely, um, I do, because of this experience, I do approach places, whether it's the Camino or elsewhere, with a sense of, let me feel what's going on here because this place has its own history, its own character, its own personality, its own dynamic. And I'm a visitor here. 
and I want to, you know, understand what's going on. And some I'm drawn to, and some I'm like, okay, I, I think that was enough. Um, and on the Camino, the, many of the churches are definitely built on those sort of hot spots where you really feel something really good going on. And I do think that the, the ideas from the Middle Ages that the wandering itinerant stonemasons who would go from project to project to you know, build these churches were working with a knowledge of uh, sacred geometry and, and figuring out where is the best place in this landscape to put the church. Let's yes. feel it out. Yeah. And they were going for that place that was going to amplify the experience uh -huh. of transcendence because that's what a church is or that's what a holy site is. It's yes. to step out, out of the profane and into the sacred. And they would use the natural energy and features in the landscape to do that. And you can still feel that in some, in many of the places, I would say almost all of them. Uh, they haven't lost it. Uh, sometimes it can feel inundated with all the people that are walking the Camino, but there are some churches where without fail, it's just, there's something there. And then the stonemasons built the exact structure, architectural structure to create this amazing funnel that mm -hmm. just channels the earth and sky energy and you just kind of go whoa and i love it when the locals who live there will say tell me things about it you know there are some churches i just stopped and i wanted to see if anybody could tell me more about the churches and when they just spontaneously would start telling me about that aspect i knew i was feeling something real yes indeed and you knew it anyway i would imagine i mean because just you yes. feel it with your own sensitivity and it's it's that intersection of the <clears throat> of the ley lines of the earth, of the planet, with mm -hmm. the, this structure that has been built to, to channel that vortex of energy, and then the sequence of people through the ages that have visited it, that have spent time there, that have had transcended experiences, and that have, uh, you know, continued to give blessings and receive yes. blessings. Yes. Thank you. That's that's a, a lovely way to you know to pull in another whole aspect of of the walking of the Camino. Go Delightful ahead. to talk about it. So, for you personally, is there a particular draw to that southwestern France and northern Spain that you know, as opposed to other parts of the world? There is, which I I'm always curious about because you know when I was younger I wouldn't have known that this is. <laughs> It was going to be the direction of my life. Mm -hmm. but, but the signs were already there early on. I, in 1986, I went to study as a college exchange student in the south of Spain, in Sevilla, at the University of Seville. Mm -hmm. And when the spring semester, well, during that spring semester was actually when I first heard about the Camino de Santiago. It was uh, in a history of, Spain course that I was taking and the professor uttered those three words and I remember writing them down and just they they beamed off the page and I thought oh I have to do this one day and then when that spring semester was over I took the train and went to Paris to visit cousins for a week and then came back and flew out of Madrid and both times when the train was crossing the Pyrenees at the the border in in the Atlantic side with in Irun and Andai, 
um, as it approached that border and as it was leaving that border, kind of that area between Pamplona and Bordeaux, mm -hmm. I felt this very strong pull. And I just knew that something was there for me to come back and explore. And I couldn't have articulated it in any sort of rational way, but it was a very strong non-rational, not to, to be distinguished from irrational, <laughs> but a very exactly. strong non-rational mm -hmm. feeling that there is something really, really significant here for me. And it was quite a process. I mean, a process of, you know, three decades of finding out what that was, but I kept going back and was drawn to it. And I think what it is, is this is a very ancient land. I mean, where you mentioned my book, Cafe Oak, and I know you read it, so thank you for that. And, and uh, that area of southwestern France really, really has pulled me in. And part of it is because it's in this network of roads that go to Santiago de Compostela, and it, it feels like it's one with that whole territory. But it's also an area where you have some of the highest concentration of the oldest sites of, of human existence, in addition to what I mentioned in Atapuerca. Mm -hmm. And and that area of southwestern France has, you know, an inordinate amount of, of painted caves and engraved caves and Paleolithic sites that for of both Neanderthals and Homo sapiens. And I just think it's that ancient ancestry. There's just there's still so much to know there. Yeah. That I found myself more inclined as both an anthropologist and a travel writer to go down deeply in one area rather than going broadly and staying on the surface all over the earth. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, as you know, I, I keep being drawn to that area too. Not the, the, I haven't done the Spain part of it very much, yes. but uh, certainly that southwestern France part of it. And, It'd be interesting know. to see um, what you experience if you, you traverse the Pyrenees and uh, mm -hmm. see where it takes you. <laughs> well, I, I do want to talk with you about that, but <laughs> um, I look forward to it. So, how can people get a hold of you if they want to hear more, read more of your books, um, find out more about what you're doing, what you're up to? What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? The best way is to go to my website, and there's also a place to contact me there. And my website is my name. And dot .weebly.com, so bbbahrami.weebly.com. And uh, they can find information about my books and my writing there. They can also um, find my books pretty much, you know, anywhere they like uh, looking for books, you know, whether it's their local bookstore or online at places like Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble. Great. And would you spell your name for people? I can do it, but you may as well do it. Absolutely. My name is spelled B-E-E-B-E-B-A-H-R-A-M-I. Thank you. And thank you, Bibi, for, for being such a, oh, inspiring guest. I, you know, you've, you've made me think about things and connect things, and, and I always love when that happens. So thank, thank you for that. Thank you so much, Lori. I'm really honored to be able to speak with you. And I know that, that our listeners have a lot to receive in pondering some of these things and maybe even deciding that they too want to be a pilgrim. I hope so.
And thank you, listeners, for being with us today at Wisdom Talk Radio. Remember, you can join us here regularly for more wisdom, discovery, and illumination of your journey. Here this, we were talking about your outer journey, but really it's your outer journey as reflective of your inner journey. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, Google, TuneIn, and more. And please leave us a review so more people can discover the goodness that is available here. And for more illumination and inspiration for your journey, find me, Laurie Seymour, over at thebacajourney.com. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us here at Wisdom Talk Radio. We wish you well in your conscious explorations. For more information and to join in the conversation, our website is wisdomtalkradio.com or at Wisdom Talk Radio on Facebook.